The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so he who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the factors which gives rise to the feast that we celebrate today, the exaltation of the Most Holy Cross of the Lord, is an event that happened some 1,400 years ago when Persian armies moved across the Middle East, even into Egypt, and sacked a number of cities, conquering territory, one of the things that happened was the sack of the city of Jerusalem and the putting to death of hundreds, even thousands of Christians who were in the city. And as a trophy, the Persian emperor, the Persian king, carried away from the city of Jerusalem that section of the cross of the Lord, which was left in Jerusalem while the other pieces were taken to Rome. And they took it away as a sign of triumph and a sign of their might. And in their arrogance, they refused to, the king refused to make peace. And so it was a number of years later that the emperor Heraclius, realizing that peace was impossible, reluctantly gathered troops to defend his territory and won a great victory. So great a victory, in fact, that it was now the Persians who sued for peace. And one of the conditions of the peace was the return of that section of the cross of the Lord, that it dwell no longer in pagan lands but be brought back home, in a sense. And so the emperor received the cross. And when the cross returned to Jerusalem, a procession was organized with the emperor in the robes of state, the gold crown, the gold jewelry, the, the robes that marked his status, bearing that section of the cross. The procession moved to that same hill on which Jesus died to where Jesus had carried the cross in the first place. 
But what a different kind of procession this was. This was a triumphant procession, a victorious procession, singing not songs of pain and lamentation, but songs of thanksgiving, not simply for the victory that the emperor had won, but over the victory of Jesus, which was being celebrated. And yet something odd happened on that movement to Calvary, which at that point had become a well-established shrine and place of prayer. And the area itself for the entrance to Calvary was marked off with an arch and a gateway. And as the procession reached the gateway, the musicians went through, the people went through, the soldiers went through, and the emperor came up to the gate and could not move any further. He could not take a single step forward. It was a remarkable and puzzling moment. And the whole, the whole procession stopped, and there was great confusion. What on earth could be happening? We're celebrating the Lord. What is wrong? Why can we not move? And try as they would. Even with other people trying to push the emperor through and pull him through, he could not get through. Until the patriarch of the city came up. And the holy bishop said to the emperor, but this is not a burden to be carried by a man dressed as you are. Rather, to bear the cross well, one must be clothed in humility, not in splendor. To bear the cross well, one must be clothed in simplicity, not in greatness. To bear the cross well, one must vest himself in weakness and not in might. And so it was that the emperor removed his crown. And he took the rings off his fingers and the golden chains that hung around his neck. He took off his cloak. He took off the robes of state and was content to dress himself as a common worker. He took off his shoes and barefoot, dressed so simply, he picked up the cross once again and carried it to the summit of Mount Calvary with no difficulty at all. And arriving to the summit of the mountain, he placed that cross in the spot where 600 years earlier, Roman soldiers had first placed it, and where the Lord died, where the Lord was enthroned, and where the Lord won his victory. And a cheer went up from the people. A spontaneous acclamation in praise of God once again for that great victory which won our salvation and as well for this beautiful manifestation of the true power of the cross the cross which brings glory to the humble and the weak and shows the emptiness of worldly strength worldly splendor and worldly wealth. And from that time forward, the custom of an annual celebration marking the glory of the cross 
the victory of the cross, the triumph of the cross, the exaltation of the cross has been part of the liturgical rhythm of the Roman church. It is a remarkable series of events and a beautiful tale. But most important was that lesson. And note, one can, bury, one can carry the cross so far, but one cannot carry the cross to the end unless certain realities are present in one's life. The emperor had no difficulty picking it up and carrying it along the flat road. The emperor had no difficulty bearing it with a certain joy and a certain pride and a certain holy esteem. And those were all wonderful things that got him to the very entrance of the place of real victory. But none of that could get him through the gate. None of that could get him up the hill where the victory was won. What a marvelous lesson that is, that we, likewise, who hear the call of Christ to bear the cross with him, have to learn. Anyone can carry the cross a certain distance, and that does not require great faith. It requires some faith, but not great faith. Anyone can move with the cross over a certain distance, and that requires a certain goodness, but it doesn't require great goodness. But to carry the cross to the place of the victory, to truly be united with Christ, one needs something more. The cross has a demand. The cross makes a requirement on us. This is what Jesus was getting at when he told his disciples, if anyone would follow me, and know what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, let him pick up his cross and follow me. He says, let him deny himself and then pick up the cross and follow me. And at a certain moment in the movement with the cross, the step of self-denial becomes absolutely necessary. This is why we have that beautiful second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And note what he says about the spirit of Jesus Christ. He does not grasp after glory, but rather he empties himself, laying that glory aside. He who is Lord of heaven and earth, he who reigns at the right hand of the Father, becomes like a slave. He lays aside his might and embraces weakness. And then St. Paul continues, and that even wasn't enough. Unthinkably great as that is, he becomes even more humble in obedience, moving to death. Death on a cross. And note what St. Paul is saying about who Jesus Christ is and the fundamental movement of his spirit. The movement to the cross for the Lord is one of self-denial, one of self-emptying, 
not one of self-glorification, not one of self-advancement, not one of self-assertion. In the beautiful saving irony of the life of Jesus, he asserts himself in his self-denial. This is who I am. And St. Paul notes, it is because of this that God greatly exalted him. And note the movement, the self-emptying, the obedience, the dying. And out of this comes the glory. Not taken by himself, but given him by his Father. From the cross to glory. And this is why he has the name above every other names. And so it is then that the patriarch of Jerusalem says to the emperor, you won't get through that gate unless you likewise lay aside the robes of your earthly glory. You likewise will not get through that gate unless you surrender the golden crown of earthly pride and power. You likewise will not get through that gate and climb that glorious mountain to where the king, the true king, originally took up his throne unless you lay aside the glittering false wealth of the world and in poverty and in simplicity and in humility put your hand to that cross because then you will indeed be able to lift it and carry it and move with it. What a remarkable lesson that it is often the case when we find the cross to be too heavy to carry that it is the pride that we cling to that makes the cross so heavy and our arms so weak. It is our reliance on false wealth, false comfort, false security that makes us unable to move with its weight. It is our false sense of our own strength, our own capacity, our own self-sufficiency that finds us suddenly incapable of moving forward spiritually. What a powerful lesson. And note then that it is the cross that on the one hand, simplicity, humility, poverty, and obedience help to make light. But it is precisely as well the cross that makes these things strong and mighty, more powerful than all of the armies of the earth. The emperor with his victorious soldiers who overcame the Persians with those same soldiers helping him, could not pass through the gate that led to the top of Calvary. All of the might of Rome could do nothing that day until the emperor humbled himself. What a powerful lesson for us. This is the other mystery that we see through the readings that the essence of the cross is God's love for man. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And why? So that the world not suffer condemnation, but be called to life.
And the Lord says, when I am lifted up, as the serpent was lifted in the desert, healing will come. And I will draw all things unto myself. And that serpent in the desert, what do we see? The people grumble against Moses and they grumble against God because they are tired of the miraculous food of the manna. They receive a miracle every day and because it was every day, the miracle got old. You know, and we fool ourselves if we think our hearts work differently. And so they grumble. They grumble because they allow the inconvenience, the discomfort of the moment to blind them to who God is and who they really are. This is why the psalm that we sing today has that verse, remember the works of the Lord. Remember them. But sometimes we get so focused in the immediate so focused in the now, we forget. This happens in our earthly relationships as well. A momentary act of displeasure, inconvenience, difficulty, makes us forget even years of goodness, even years of faithfulness. Because we live in the reaction of that moment, we make ourselves forgetful, and we remember the wrong things. And so the people forgot all the good the Lord had done because all they could concentrate on and focus on was an inconvenience of the moment. And the Lord teaches them the bitter lesson that that kind of forgetful unfaithfulness has a consequence, and the consequence is death. Not necessarily bodily death, although that was the case here, but even more terribly spiritual death. Forgetfulness of the works of the Lord puts the soul, puts the heart to death. And so a people afflicted by this punishment are given a curious cure. The Lord says to Moses, make a replica of the serpent that is biting the people. Put it on a staff. Take it outside the camp and put it on a hill where everybody can see it. And when they look to it, they will be reminded. Isn't that interesting? They will be reminded first of the snake that is biting them, the poison of its bite, and the reason for it in the first place, which was their own sinfulness. And in seeing this reminder of their own sinfulness and the consequence of that sin, their hearts will be provoked to cry out for mercy. And I will give them mercy. And Jesus connects what happens to him on the cross to exactly that. So that when we turn and look to the cross, when we raise the cross up so that all can see it, what do we see? On the one hand, we see what sin does to man. We see what sin does to ourselves. We see what sin in its death-dealing wickedness does to the soul, does to the spirit, does to the world. 
But what also do we see? We see not the one who punishes, but the one who saves. Because Jesus is not sent like the venomous serpent to put the sinner to death. Jesus, rather, is the one who bears the bite of the serpent that we can't endure. Jesus is that one who in his suffering on the cross endures the punishment that should be ours so that we might not die but live. This is why we have this feast day today, this day where we lift up the cross and look at it and see it in all of its beauty as the great sign of God's victorious love for us and for the world. Because the cross is our glory. The cross is our glory because we can win no victory on our own. The cross is our glory because Jesus wins the victory there and shares that victory to us. Indeed, the king who rules the world from the mercy of his cross. What a great mystery it is that we celebrate this day. Amen.